Father, Lord, uh, once again, we declare that you are an awesome God. We came here to magnify your name. Now, as we prepare to study your word, we just ask, Lord, that you just clear our minds and our hearts to receive the word directly from you. We pray, Lord, that you just remove myself and let your spirit just come forth and just bring fresh rain before your people. Now, Lord, we don't want to add to your word. We don't want to subtract from your word, but we just want to receive the word that you have for us on today so that we may bear much fruit for your kingdom building. We are forever mindful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the title of today's sermon is called The Importance of Faith and Works. But we're going to look at scripture to answer a very important question. And that question is this. Why is it important that faith and works operate together? The question is, is why is it important that faith and works operate together. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And let me read it to you. But when we get to verse 26, I would like for all of us to read it together. So we're going to read James' letter. Beginning in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And in verse 26, we're going to read it together. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily in food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Together? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. So now the background of the text, let me just see if we can get a better understanding of what James is really writing about. This epistle was written to Jews back in verse 1, 
It says, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He's writing to Jewish readers. They had identified themselves with the Christian faith. Some of them obviously were genuine, and some of them were probably less than genuine, since all of these tests are given in the epistle. But they had outwardly identified with the Christian faith. Now, in my household, everyone in my household knows that we have a, like a pecking order when it comes to homework. I try to help out with the math and the sciences, and my wife helps out with all the other subjects. But I like math, and I try to equate a lot of things with formulas, as I just I like math a lot. So I have a formula that I want us to kind of keep in the background as we continue on. And this formula is this, and feel free to remember it or write it down. Faith plus nothing else equals nothing. Faith plus nothing else equals nothing. Works plus nothing else equals nothing. That's the second formula. Works plus nothing equals nothing. So the reason, number one, why it's important that faith and works operate together is number one. Faith alone is useless. Let's look at verse 20 in our passage here. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, person that faith apart from works is useless? So I know what a lot of people that read this, and it's been a contradiction all throughout history. They're going to say this. What do you mean faith by itself is useless? I, I've been taught that faith alone is all that I need. And some of the apparent contradictions, I say apparent contradictions, can be found in a lot of the Paul uh, epistles. For in Romans 2 and 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Someone else may quote Romans 5 and 1, where Paul goes on and says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone else may go again to Romans chapter 3, verse 28, and quote scripture, it says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we have to deal with this. One thing I want you to know is that scripture does not contradict scripture. I'm going to say that again. Scripture does not contradict scripture. If there are times where it seems like that, that means that we really need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to help us see what scripture is saying from not our perspective, but from God's perspective. And that takes, sometimes it's apparent, sometimes it takes a lot of work to go in and see, to show that scripture does not contradict scripture. They complement each other. I read about this, uh, this psychologist, his name was Dr. Alfred Adler, and he was quoted as saying this, we are not what we say, but what we are, what we, but we are, what we do. I'll quote him again. We are not what we say, but we are what we do. What we do, he says, is the real key of our intentions. I believe whether this psychiatrist, whether he know it or not, he discovered what the Word of God teaches. He has discovered what James is saying here in our passage. He observed in human behavior, which was his study. The viewpoint in psychology is the only real revelation of a person is through a person's behavior. 
James, for example, describes the kind of faith that equals nothing. He calls it dead faith in verses 17. In verses 20 again, he calls it useless faith. And in verse 26, he calls it again dead faith. So true faith will always be seen in works. Dead faith will not be seen at all. And so therefore, we have to spend just a little bit of time on the subject of faith and what James is actually talking about here. In, the cha in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said this. And a lot of times what I like to do is go to see what did Jesus, what did the master have to say about a particular subject? And he says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, the light that shines out of the life of a believer is the light of good works, and is demonstrated by good deeds. There is a kind of faith that James articulates that does not save. There are many who believe the facts about God. They believe the facts. They believe that God exists. They believe that Christ exists. But they do not manifest, nor do they show a commitment to Jesus Christ. They do not show a change of heart. They do not show a sense of repentance. They manifest no changed life that comes with true salvation, marked with repentance and obedience. So therefore, we can have a knowledge of something, but yet not have a saving faith in it. The Lord was so concerned when he spoke about this, when he talked about the parable of the soils. No doubt he was alluded to it with the parable of the wheat and the tares. He spoke about it in John 15 with the abiding and the non-abiding branches. There is a common issue in the ministry of our Lord. And this issue that he has is intellectual belief is not enough. Intellectual belief in him is just not enough. In fact, the whole epistle written by James, it is a series of tests by which you can evaluate your faith is a living faith or whether it's a dead faith. The first test was the test of trials. Remember in chapter 1, verse 2, when we read through the book of James, it says the test of trials and your response to trials is an indicator of dead faith or living faith. The second faith was the, of temptation. What do you place the blame at when, when temptation occurs? That's a good indicator of where, whether we have dead faith or alive faith. The third response to the word that comes at the end of chapter 1 and that we have been looking in chapter 2 is the test of your response to the poor and needy. So James, what he's doing, he's giving us a series of tests by which we can evaluate our faith. Now, in this chapter, second chapter, verses 14 through 26, he brings up the test of works. And by works, he means righteous action, righteous behavior, behavior that is obedient to God's word which is manifested in godly nature. So how then do we prove who we are? James has already brought up this issue. If we go back to verse 22 of chapter 1, he has already introduced it when he says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his face or looking at his face in a mirror, at his birth, 
his Genesis face. It was like in a mirror. He looks and goes his ways. He forgets how he looks and he continues to go on his way. He forgets about it. But whoever looks in the perfect law of liberty, which means the word of God, and he continues there, he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed. In other words, God says we need to be a doer, not a continual looker on, a look person, or just standing on the sidelines, putting the faith that we have into action. Again, James brings up the same issue in chapter 2. Now let me say this, and I'm going to make it very clear. We are not saved by works. We are not saved by works. Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 says, Not by works, lest we should what? Boast. We are not saved by works. If we were saved by works, we could walk around boasting and we can walk about bragging on what I have done. And grace would no longer be grace. No one is saved by work. But James wants us to pay attention to this very carefully. But no one is saved without producing works. That's the issue. Without producing works, the works of repentance and submission of Christ is usually the initial ones. So James is dealing with a dead faith or a non-saving faith. Now somebody's going to say, wait a minute, isn't James, he's, he's in conflict with Paul. There's, I still, there's conflict. This is a typical argument. If we accept what James says, that we have to have works, aren't we denying what Paul said when he said faith alone, faith alone, grace alone is all that we need? And if you add any works to grace, you have messed up grace? Doesn't Paul say we are saved simply and only and totally by grace? I have a suggestion. James and Paul, they're not standing at each other facing, arguing, or have differing, or differing revelations of Scripture. But they're standing back to back, and what they're doing is they're fighting two common enemies. Paul is fighting those people who want salvation by works. That's who Paul, he's fighting. Those who want, they want salvation. I need, I need, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, I do this, I can be saved. Paul was battling that during his time. And James is fighting those people who want salvation that doesn't demand anything. A cheap, sad faith. So Paul is saying salvation is only by grace. James is saying that salvation only by grace produces works. There is no debate here. The two are working together, side by side, back to back. But what they're doing is they're fighting two extremes. One is works, works, works. And the other one is just, I just have faith and that's all I need. I don't need to produce anything. And so therefore, there is no conflict. So if we go back to chapter 1, verses uh, 118, what did James say? He says, of his own will, begot, he begot us with the word of truth. In other words, he presents a sovereign salvation by grace. God saved us by his own will through the word of truth. James affirms a salvation by sovereign grace. But then he says, in order that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. In other words, to make us new creatures, to make us different. 
And Paul is saying the same thing. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, but we are his workmanship created to do what? Good works. They both are saying the same thing. Both agree there is a faith that does not save. There, that does not save. There is what they call a said faith. Now, what is the character of this dead faith that James is articulating here? This is what James wants to point out to us. When we look at our text, what is the character of dead faith? He gives us three marks of dead faith. So we have three ways to try to self-examine ourselves to see if the faith that we have is dead faith. First of all, dead faith is identified by empty confessions. We know what empty confessions is. Oh, when we have a problem, they say, oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, I think everything is going to be all right. Oh, just go about your way and, you know, we'll, we'll pray and think about these empty confessions. And James asks the question, he says, what does it profit or what does that benefit? I think he's speaking at the point uh, to his Jewish brother and ultimately us, the audience. What does it profit or what does it benefit, though a man says he has faith but does not have work? What good is it such a claim? Can faith save him? He asks a very important question. What good is this? You have this sad faith, but you're not doing anything to, to actually demonstrate the faith that you say that you have. So now let's look at it. If a man says he has faith, let's go back to our scripture. If a man says he has faith for the sake of argument, a man comes along and he makes a claim. I have faith. And he says, I believe. I believe in God. I believe in Christ. He confesses to believe in the death of Christ. He may even confess to believe in the resurrection of Christ. Oh, by the way, uh, it, it's, 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 it's in present tense when we're looking at the, script, at the scripture here. But the obvious answer that James gives here is that nothing but empty confessions or empty professions is what is going on here. If we were to just look back at James, we might see some of those works were. If we went back to chapter 1 and verses 12, we might see endurance, patience, triumph through trials as good works demonstrating the true faith that we have. So therefore, James and Paul, there is no contradiction in any shape, form, or fashion. With the faith that he's looking at is the result that we, that we get when we profess a true claim in Jesus Christ. So the works that we have is the fruits. Let's look at Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, and in verse 6 it says, He will render to every man according to his what? Deeds. The final judgment will be according to his what? Deeds. You say, I thought the final judgment would be on our faith. The final judgment will be on our faith as indicated in our what? Deeds. So therefore, there is no type of conflict and there is a type of faith that saves and a type of faith that does not save. Next point. Why we should remember the importance of works and faith working together. Why? Because faith and works working together, they, they justify us. And then he goes on to give us an example in our text. And he uses Abraham and he uses Rahab as an example. In verse 21, 
he goes on and says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his work, and faith was completed by his work. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and counted to him as righteousness. So how is that? We have, let's go back to the story. We know the story of Abraham and Isaac. We know that the promises that God had promised Abraham, that he would give him a son, even him and his wife were over 90 years old, and that he would be the father of many. And when the son came, that God asked him, or God told him to offer up his son as a, as a sacrifice. Abraham had faith, but he had actions that went along with it. Now let's think about this. God telling someone, or you, or not God telling, but you going to offer up a child, to go kill your child, but without the faith, you've just committed what? Murder. You've just committed murder. So do you see the two working together? Faith and the work of Abraham is what justified him. It was the faith, but it was also the work. You know how many times we're, uh, we say we have faith to do something. I believe that this is going to happen. I believe that this is going to happen. And it applies to myself in my own life. I think that this is going to happen. But if I don't go out and do the work based upon the faith that I have, it's useless. It's useless. My brothers and sisters, God wants us to have a saving faith. He wants us to bear much fruit. Jesus even said this. He says, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I, when, when I didn't have clothes, you didn't clothe me. And the people responded, when did this happen? When did we do this to you? And Jesus articulated this. He said, when you did this to the least of these, you've done this to me. So can you see how faith and works, they operate, they go hand in hand. The works does not save us. It doesn't save us. But it is a fruit. It is, an, it is evidence of the faith that we proclaim that we have. And this is something that was true to James, to his heart. Because all throughout his, his passage, he's talking about the testing of your, your faith. And we're even reminded to examine yourselves to see if we are the faith. How do we do that? How do we examine ourselves to see if we are of the faith? One obvious way is to look at the works. Let's look at the deeds. Let's look at the fruit that we have produced or maybe we did not produce. And this is the heart of the message that James is getting at. That our faith and our works, they work hand in hand together. We're not to just sit on the silent. We see the needs of other peoples. And Paul even, and, and Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, he even says, I can do all these things, but if I have not love, I can have the faith to move mountains. But if I have not love, I'm nothing. I'm just making a lot of noise. And God doesn't want us to just make a lot of noise. And I think that many times 
that the church has been, from the outside, the church is convicted of just making a lot of noise. We say that we, we, we believe this and we believe this and we, and we do this, but yet they look and they look at our fruit and many times they don't see what we proclaim. And so prayerfully this message convicts each and every one of our hearts to live out the faith that we have, that we proclaim, that we are called to do. My brothers and sisters, we are his workmanship created to do good works. We're created to do these things. The works on itself, it doesn't save us. But it is evidence of the faith that we said that we have. So my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to have faith. And along with that faith, let's manifest that faith to the entire world. How do we do that? We see someone that's hungry. Let's feed them. We see someone that's destitute. Let's help them. Let's help point them in the right. Let's just don't say, oh, I pray for you. Go about your way. God will help you. We may be the tool or the instrument that God wants to use us to help that person. So God will help, will help you, but we may be that tool or instrument. So my brothers and sisters, I came to you today to just to be encouraged, to let you know that we have a work to do. That work is not what saves us, but Jesus wants us to bear much fruit. Some would do this amount, some would do this amount. But we should all be bearing fruit. We should not be sitting on the sidelines just saying, go in peace, be warm, and be filled. He wants us to be his instruments of his well-doing.